God's Word comes to us from Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. We're going to begin our reading at verse 18 and then read through verse 25. Romans 1, beginning at verse 18. What we hear now is God's word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity for the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Here we in the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Psalter hymnals to page 894 in the back section. Page 894, and this morning we look at Lord's Day 47 and question 122. Reading from page 894, question 122, what does the first petition mean? The answer given to us, hallowed be your name means, help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means, help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. We are continuing today our study of the last section of the Heidelberg Catechism dealing with the Lord's Prayer. And we have seen that there is a certain structure to that prayer. It begins with an address to God, uh, two sets of three petitions, and then a final doxology. We talked last time about that address to God, how we don't speak to Him as a God who is far off from us. We speak to Him as our Father, one who loves us and who's brought us into a relationship with Himself. This morning, we're going on to the first petition of the prayer, 
hallowed be your name. And when I was growing up and would say the Lord's Prayer or hear the Lord's Prayer, I think I I misunderstood uh, that first petition because I didn't hear it as a petition, I heard it as a declaration saying something about God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. But it's not a declaration about God. It's a petition on God's behalf that his name would be hallowed, that his name would be seen as holy. It's a petition, if I can put it this way, on God's behalf, but a petition that affects us, that we would hallow God's name, that we would see it as holy. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. A petition for God, hallowed be your name, but a petition that affects us. Our confession when answering the question, what does the first petition mean, hallowed be your name means, help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works. Help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you. Help us to know you. Well, that raises the question, how do we know God? Our text this morning talks about our knowledge of God in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We know God by looking at creation around us. We just sang Psalm 19. Creation speaks about God. It it points us to God. He is revealed in creation. As one children's song says, His fingerprints are everywhere. All we have to do is look around us. In, In looking at creation, we see something of the majesty of God, something of the beauty of God, but we also see that God is a God of order, and a God of structure. God has put pattern and rhythm in life because He is a God of order and a God of structure. We think of that with the changing of the seasons. Now, we perhaps don't notice the changing of the seasons here as much as in other places. As some of you know, last weekend I was visiting Rebecca in Sioux Center, Iowa, where it is still winter. Uh, Saturday morning, I went to men's Bible study. The temperature outside was two degrees and the wind chill well below zero. And what do we say to each other in Sioux Center? Spring is coming. (laughs) There's going to be a spring coming. We perhaps don't notice it quite so much here, but there is a regularity. There is a pattern. Spring and summer and fall and winter. And then the same pattern happens again. Spring and summer and fall and winter. A time for planting, a time for growing, a time for harvesting, a time for resting. God's pattern, his rhythm in creation. Can you imagine if that pattern changed every year? But this regularity of God giving us order and giving us structure. 
we see that we see that kids in our own bodies you can look at your body and you can see order and you can see structure kids you have on your hand you have what's called an opposable thumb an opposable thumb your thumb can move and what a wonderful blessing that is we don't really notice that so much but today when you go home and you're sitting at the dinner table uh, if mom says it's okay if you're sitting at the dinner table try to pick up your fork without using your thumb now it's possible but it's not very easy God has put structure he's put order kids our eyes are near the top of our body. Can you imagine if your eyes were on your feet? Well, you'd hardly even know where you're going. Can you imagine if your ears were on your back? You have to turn around to listen to people. But God is a God of order and structure and beauty. And he has put us together in such a way. That's a revelation of who he is. His invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived in the creation that he has made. And yet, what, what has man done with that revelation? The world sees the very same information that we do. They see the very same bodies we do, the very same creation that we do. But they misunderstand. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Go down to verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. God's revealed that he is a God of power, a God of majesty. And yet the unbeliever looks and doesn't understand that. He's exchanged that truth. He finds other ways of explaining the world around him. He finds other ways of, of, of imagining how things came to be and why it is there's regularity and pattern. There's no reason for the unbeliever to believe in regularity and pattern. He, he exchanges the truth for a lie. He exchanges the truth for a lie, not for a different truth. Sometimes I think we're told, you know, it really doesn't matter so much what you believe because it, it all is the same anyway. If you want to believe that God created everything, that's fine. If you want to believe that it all happened by accident, that's fine. If you want to believe it was random chance, that's fine. All these truths, you pick your truth. That's not what the scripture says. He exchanged the truth for a lie. To know God is to know the true God, the one who has revealed himself in creation. There's not a variety of truths out there. You pick the one that suits you best. There is the truth of who God is and his revelation to us. Help us to know you, to know that God who has revealed himself so beautifully in the creation that he has made. Help us to know you. Help us to honor you. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Knowing God, we must give glory to God. As we see God working in culture around us, as we see cultural advancements, we think of of the advancements made in the medical field. How much more we know now than a hundred years ago. And we don't say, wow, man's really smart, he really figured out lots of things. No, God has allowed culture to unfold in a certain way that we could see the intricacy and the beauty that he has put there. Help us to honor you. Not to take glory to ourselves as we began our service today. Not unto us, O God, not unto us. But to your name give glory because of who you are and because of what you do. We are a church that places a great deal of value on education. And yet, yet we don't put our hope in what we know. We don't put our hope in what we can learn. We don't put our hope in education itself. But the God of education, who has revealed certain things to us and we can unfold the beauties of creation. When we see a morning like this morning, the beautiful weather outside, uh, we don't give thanks to Mother Nature. We give thanks to the Creator. The Creator who made all that we see around us. We are to honor God. Worship the Creator not the creature. And and worship in ways that please the Creator. Not to worship in creaturely ways. As we gather for worship this morning, really we gather in a fairly plain building, a fairly plain atmosphere. I was reminded of that this past week as I saw on the television uh, some of the, uh, the churches in Ukraine. I was in Ukraine about 10 years ago and went into a church, and they are hugely ornamented. It's an overload as you walk in the door of sights and, and all these things on the walls and behind you, and there's just all this information coming at you. We gather this morning in fairly plain surroundings. What do you see when you look up front, children? You see a pulpit. The pulpit's in the center of the, of the stage. What do you see? You see a table. You see a baptism font. Simple ornamentation. Not all kinds of images and, and, and pictures and things that which distract us. Our worship is simple the way God intended it to be. Simply focusing on Him, not glorifying creation glorifying the Creator, the one who has revealed Himself. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him or give thanks to Him. To honor God is to thank Him for who He is. To thank Him for what He has made and to thank Him for what He has done. Because while as glorious as it is that God reveals Himself in creation around Him, He also reveals Himself more clearly in his holy word. And in that word, 
we see his way with his people. We see what he has done for us. He unfolds for us the plan of salvation. That he has chosen a people for his very own. Before the foundations of the world, he chose those who would be his. They are fallen, they are sinful men and women, boys and girls, but in the fullness of time, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to come and perfectly wash away all of their sins, who turns aside God's wrath, who gives blessing. We have in the scriptures the glory of who God is in the gospel, the one who came to give us new life. And this morning, God calls us to believe his word, to embrace that truth, that if we have confessed our sins, he has promised he will forgive us fully and completely for all the sins we have committed. He will hold nothing against us. This is the God that we honor by believing him by believing that we've been washed and cleansed in Jesus Christ, by believing that by His Spirit, He's given us a new life. And so we will live in different ways. God calls you today to put your faith and hope in the Jesus Christ revealed in Scripture, to know the assurance of sins forgiven, to know the blessing of being called as a child of God. Our Confession concludes after saying that hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you. It says, and it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. It's more than just knowing God. It's more than just honoring God. It is living for God. The gospel changes the way that we live. It changes the things that we do, our actions. It changes our relationships, how we show love for one another. It changes those relationships in our home, that we as Husbands and as wives will pattern our love for each other after the pattern given us in Scripture. The love between Jesus Christ and His church. Hallowing God's name means that as husbands, we will be the loving, caring heads of our homes, giving up ourselves for the sake of our wives. Hallowing God's name means that as wives, we'll be those loving, caring supporters unto our husband, encouraging them in the calling you've given to them. It means that as parents, we will raise our children in a way that, that continually directs them back to Jesus Christ. And as children, kids, you hallow God's name when you are loving and obedient to your parents. That obedience to them is obedience to God. It is to pray the prayer, hallowed be your name, God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live in a certain way. It affects what we do. It affects what we say. Our confession that God's name never be blasphemed because of us. There's an intimate connection between the third commandment and this first petition. That we speak 
in a way that honors God. That the stories, that the jokes that we tell do not blaspheme His name, but that by our words He is always honored and always praised. Living for God affects what we do, what we say, and even, even how we think. Our thought life. And that's perhaps the most difficult. There are sins we might uh, never consider doing. We might never even take those sins on our lips. But we will harbor them in our minds. We will roll them over again and again in our thoughts. What would it be like if to hallow God's name is that even in our thought life, we seek that God not be blasphemed by what we are thinking? It's very easy to rattle off the Lord's Prayer without giving it much thought. It is a very difficult prayer to pray. Hallowed be your name. It's a serious prayer. A prayer on God's behalf, but a prayer that changes us. Help us to know you. Help us to know you as you've revealed yourself in creation, as you've revealed yourself in your holy word. Help us to honor you. Not to take glory to ourselves, but to give you the honor and the glory which is yours alone. And help us by the power of your Spirit, to live for you in what we do, in what we say, in what we think. May God help us as we take these words on our lips truly to hallow his name. Let's join together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know, O oh God, you are holy. We know you are righteous. Help us to recognize that. To know you properly. To honor you fully. And to live for you daily. Oh, we confess we are weak left to ourselves. We could never do this. And so we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you might encourage us, you might strengthen us, you might truly help us that your name would be hallowed in our lives. Hear our prayer, O God. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're going to turn to number 521 this setting of the Lord's Prayer.